0: Well, have you ever heard the statement actions speak louder than words? Yeah, um we we probably experienced uh uh that that reality or the the desire for that reality as we've gone through this past election season, we've heard all kinds of words and we're looking for for actions that ba- that back them up. That statement means what we do carries more authority than than what we say. Words themselves uh, have little meaning unless we 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 back them up. They they don't carry authority without without proof. And and we say that because of our experience, right? We talk about politics. There's uh, there's a lot of talk and and little uh, little action. But that statement doesn't apply to God. Do you ever think about that? Um, the words that he speaks have inherent authority. Actually, they, they move men to action. They not only carry authority, but they actually create. Uh, when God speaks, the worlds come into being, and creation is set into motion. By the way, words of his mouth, the heavens were made, and by the, the voice of God in the Bible, faith forms in the heart. Faith comes by hearing. Hearing by the word of Christ, it's it's the words of God that give us give our faith something to attach to. Faith is our believing response to the promises of God. You you hear the call to repent and believe, and that gives you something to to respond to. And then the the very the very work that God does through the Holy Spirit in our in our heart comes through through the Word. The Spirit saves and sanctifies. He uses the the, the word and because they're God's word, they, they carry authority um, and they, they actually move uh, to action, move men to action. And last week uh, or week before Thanksgiving, last time we were in the gospel of Mark, we're starting that book. We're up through chapter one, uh, verse 16 is where we're going to be this morning. Last week, Mark introduced us to Jesus as the as the king and, and he makes this call to, to enter into the, enter into the kingdom. He's the coming one. And he is the beginning of the, of the gospel. He's God's son. And after John's arrest, Jesus is led by the Spirit into Galilee and he begins to preach and he, he declares the time is at hand and, he, and he calls people to, to enter the, enter the kingdom and responding to to the gospel, and we talked about the three different aspects of the, of the kingdom. There is a future kingdom that's coming for Israel, a literal thousand year millennial reign of Christ. We heard about it this morning in, in the book of, in the book of Isaiah. And, and here is the, the king coming on the, coming on the scene, and the kingdom's gonna come in stages, and his message was simple, and it was pointed. And it demanded a decisive response. He was preaching the gospel of God, and his expectation was, his call was for a people to repent and believe. And Jesus, as the Son of God, has the authority to issue that call. And Mark now demonstrates that, that authority in the next scene, in the calling of his first followers, in the calling of his disciples. In the next three paragraphs in, in the In the Gospel of Mark, Mark demonstrates the authority of Christ by calling his first disciples and then exercising authority over the, over the spiritual realm, over demons, and then over physical sickness whenever he heals Peter's mother-in-law. All of those scenes are to demonstrate the authority of Christ. And what an amazing authority he he has. Well, I think what's amazing about this passage when I first started looking at it to preach the this morning was that he exercises this authority by his voice alone. Jesus speaks and men obey. Demons submit, sickness flees, and the lame walk. He does nothing more. He doesn't bear a sword. He doesn't set himself up with some uh kingly procession. In fact he does just the opposite. We saw that whenever he he goes and associates himself with this baptism of uh, for repentance of, of John's he goes to the wilderness and and he he then bears the the temptation that that Adam failed to do and now he's he's on the scene as John is arrested we talked about how Mark skipped over a lot to bring us to, to this place because he has a specific purpose to communicate and he begins to preach and he exercises his authority in that preaching and now it's going to be demonstrated and he he, he doesn't use the force of personality he doesn't even touch anyone he just speaks and people obey his command and our actions may speak louder than our words but jesus words have have authority and mark's going to demonstrate that for us this morning so if you're not there open your bibles to mark chapter one and we'll read verses 16 through 20. The first disciples here are are called. The Bible says, And he walked by the Sea of Galilee, or as he walked by the Sea of, of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, and they were, for they were fishermen. Then Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. They immediately left their nets and followed him. And when he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went after him. It's just about four verses here, four or five verses, and, and Mark introduces four men to us that we haven't heard before up to, this, up to this point in time in the Gospel of Mark. The other Gospels talk about the encounter that Jesus has with, with some of these men uh, during the baptism of, of John. But this is the first time Mark introduces four men. But the central message of this passage is all about the authority of Christ, the authority of the one who calls them, To, to follow him. This is how I would outline this, this passage. It's the king's authority demonstrated. It's a, it's an authority asserted. You're going to find that in verses 16 and 17. It's for announcing God's message. He's going to make them fishers of men. He calls them to follow me and I will make you fishers of men. That's the, that's the the outflow of the of the authority it involves an absolute allegiance immediately they followed him and then it has earthly priority they they left their nets and they also left some other things that i'll show you whenever we get into into the into the message and mark begins with just this authority asserted it's a it's a, it's an authority that is, that is asserted. Look if you would at verse 16. It says, And he walked by the Sea of Galilee. As he walked, he, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brothers, casting a net into the sea. For they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me. Now Jesus is passing along the, the Sea of Galilee and he sees these Two men, Simon, who's Peter, and Andrew, and they're working as as fishermen. Now, the Sea of Galilee, as we've said before, is not really a sea, but it's really a a freshwater lake. It's about twelve miles long and about six miles wide at its at its largest place, and it's shaped like a a, shaped like a harp. It's actually uh, below sea level. uh, not quite 700 feet below sea level but it it's it's rich in resources and that provided the the primary economy for the for the region and so because of that it's it's ringed with these uh, fishing towns linked by a road and this is where Jesus goes and starts his preaching ministry and as Jesus is is walking along one of these roads he sees Simon and Andrew engaged in the daily business and he issues a command for them to to obey. It's a it's a command to be obeyed. I mean, you just you can't get around that. This is this is not an invitation. (laughs) This is a command. And they are they're called to follow him and he asserts his authority as God. There's no build up here. There's no cajoling. There's not even a message of why they should do it. He just commands based upon divine authority. And following him meant to follow his, his teaching, first and foremost. It was a call to submit to to his teaching and to his authority. And when you think about it, that's exactly what being a Christian entails. Christians are called disciples. They're called Followers. And of course there's a moment in time when you begin to follow, but then that's what you do. From that point forward you, you follow Christ and you don't follow the still small voice or things in your head. You, you follow the Word of God. This is the, this is the commands. These are the commands to us and we place ourselves under that and we, we follow Him. The Bible is the Word of Christ and therefore it has His authority. And when we repent and believe and we hear that message and respond to it, we're placing ourselves under the Lordship of Christ. He's God. It's, he's, we've said a hundred times, He's not just our get-out-of-hell-free card. He's He's both Christ and Lord. That's what the apostles preach. And you see that in the book of Acts. We place ourselves under the, the authority. Now, I've heard people say, um, I like Jesus, but I don't like you Christians. Have you ever heard... People say that before. Now, we could probably own some of that, I would guess. We're not heads at, at times. I would say the reason that they say that is to try to skirt the issue of their own sin and being confronted with the truth. But have you ever heard somebody say, I follow Jesus, but not the Bible? Have you ever heard anybody say that? I, I follow Jesus, but, but I, don't, I don't follow the Bible. I mean, that's the most ridiculous statement I've ever heard before in my life. I mean, how do you follow a person but don't follow His, his teachings or, his, or, or what He says. Following means hearing and obeying. And that's what Jesus was calling the, these disciples to do. The, and the lesson for us, I think, as we do ministry today, is that we assert the same delegated authority when we speak God's words to others. The words of, of God have, have authority. We speak on, on His behalf when we share the Gospel or when we bring the Word to bear on somebody's, somebody's life. And don't ever underestimate the power of the, of the Word of God. You, you need nothing else because nothing else has the ability, has the, has the, the, the authority that, that Scripture does, but also to be able to create and be able to change like the Bible does. The sad truth about human methods in ministry is that they actually mute the very thing that can change lives. I mean I mean every second of a of a sermon preached that lacks the words of God is an impotent moment. It's like a cloud without rain. It has a it has a lot of rumbling, but it has no ability to bring refreshment. It has no ability to change anything. And it's the word that that actually has that authority and then therefore can change can change Lives. But I want you to notice it's not only a command to be obeyed, it's a, it's a call to follow a person. Jesus said, follow me. And within that, it's his teachings. It's who he is. It's a command to be obeyed. There's authority, authority asserted, but, but he's saying follow me. And that authority is in a person. Now, I don't have any authority. I, I don't, I don't have any, uh, a massive sway of personality that just commands people to want to to follow me like like some men. I don't have authority here. I don't have authority in my home. I don't have much authority at all. But the, one of the authority that I do have is to repeat to you the words of God. That's the authority. And this is the authority that we speak. And I don't call you just to follow the words of Christ. I call you to follow Christ Himself. That authority is in is in the person of Jesus. When you hear this command, when Jesus said to them, you search this authority, this divine authority commands them to follow me. Which word do you hear emphasized? Follow or me? Do you hear the command part or do you hear the the object, the the me part? One's not greater than the other. They They can't be separated. You You become a disciple by a decision to obey, but a disciple is a follower of a person. And obedience for the Christian is about relationship. And one of the greatest things about Christianity that's different from all other so-called faiths is it's not just a call to follow teachings or philosophies, but it's a call to follow a person. And that person just happens to be the Son of God. happens to be Jesus. Jesus Christ is not a a dead philosopher or a dead prophet, but a living Savior. And he walks with you and he talks with you. He's personal. And he'll be with you even as he calls you to obey his his command. Do you ever feel burdened by the commands of Christ? Is that because his commands are difficult to obey sometimes? Possibly. But Jesus says it's a yoke, but his yoke is easy and his burden is is light. Obedience without relationship will get you dry very quickly. You might need to focus on the me part of Christ's statement. Rather than just hear follow, 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 you need to hear follow me. It's the lover of your soul that calls you to follow him. And it's in following him that we get the privilege of, of telling others about the same Truth. It's an authority asserted. It's a command, and it's a. It's also a to be obeyed and it's a call to follow a person. And what does he call them to do? It's for announcing. It's for the announcing of of God's message. Because the end of verse seventeen, he says, "Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men." And that's an obvious analogy. He's walking by the Sea of Galilee. They're actually fishing, and he says, I'll make you fishers of men, not fishers of fish. But what we hear and what they hear may be something different. What we hear and what we likely think about, whenever we think about fishing, they may have understood something more significant. They may have understood the concept of fishing for men in the Old Testament. I mean, we hear the analogy, they're fishers and fishers of fish, and Jesus is calling them to be fishers of men. But when they have, would have heard being a fisher of, of men in the, in the eschatological concept, it had an Old Testament meaning. And fishing was not done the way we fish. The idea of fishing for men originally comes from Jeremiah 16. The context is the twelve tribes of Israel are scattered among the nations, and, and they're in bondage just like they were in, in Egypt, and, and God is going to call them out of the nations. And there's going to be something greater than what he did in, in Exodus. And look at this, this analogy, this concept of becoming fishers of, of men. Now remember, John the Baptist is uh, the, coming in the spirit of Elijah, and he's coming in order to prepare the people for the coming one, the Messiah, Jesus steps forward as that coming one, associating with that message of judgment in and in, in, in the wilderness, and then he begins to preach as he takes over his earthly ministry, the gospel of God. And Jeremiah sixteen says, In however days will surely come, says the Lord, when it will no longer be as the Lord lives, who brought the Israelites out of Egypt, but rather as the Lord lives who brought the Israelites out of the land of the north, and out of all of the countries to which they have been ban- to which he had been banished them, I will bring them back to the land in which I gave their fathers. Look, I will send many fishermen, says the Lord, to catch them. O oh Lord, my strength, my fortress, my refuge in the days of distress to you. Will the nations come also from the ends of the earth? Jeremiah proclaims that not only are the Israelites coming back to the Lord from the nations, but the nations are coming to the Lord as well, being, becoming a fisher of men, being calling them to become fishers of men was to announce God is doing that work right now. That's not the only imagery that's in Jeremiah Not only as fishermen, but there's another analogy in Jeremiah that Jesus uses. The Lord also promised to give the people new shepherds who would guide them. Jeremiah 23, 1. Woe to the shepherds who mislead and scatter the flock of my pastor, says the Lord. Therefore, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, against the shepherds who shepherd my people, you have scattered my sheep and driven them away You have not cared for them, and I will take care to punish your evil deeds. I myself will gather the remnant of my flock from all the lands to which I have driven them and bring them back to their meadow, and they shall increase and multiply. I will appoint shepherds for them who will shepherd them so that they need no longer fear and tremble, and none shall be missing, says the Lord. Behold, the days are coming, says the Lord. I will raise up a righteous branch to David. As king, he shall reign and govern wisely. He shall do what is just and right in the land. Now, the Lord says he'll remove the old shepherds, namely the scribes and Pharisees. He's going to replace them with with new shepherds, the apostles, and then ultimately you and I. So here... Jesus calls Simon and Andrew to be fishers of men. God's going to send out fishermen. He's going to recover the Israelites from the nations. He's going to call them. And he's also going to call the nations to himself. And then he also uses this analogy in Jeremiah of shepherds. Do you remember how... This is Peter's calling. Do you remember the last word we hear about Peter at the end of the Gospel of John in chapter 21. After the resurrection, Peter and John and the rest of the disciples, they go back to doing what? They go back to fishing, catching fish. And you remember they don't catch anything and Jesus comes along and He's standing on the bank and they catch this great catch. Peter realizes that it's the Lord. He jumps out of the boat. He swims to Jesus. They have breakfast on the bank. And then Jesus asks Peter some specific words. Do you love me? And do you remember how Peter responds? Do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs. Tend my sheep. Feed my sheep. He's fulfilling Jeremiah. Jesus is saying to these men as he calls them to become fishers of men, the time is at hand. When God will gather Israel and the nations to himself and he'll use the disciples to do that, and they're going to be God's fishermen and God's shepherds to gather them and, and feed them. And that's exactly what, what we're called to do. It's exactly how Ephesians describes the gifts that Christ gives to his church. He gave some apostles and prophets who laid the foundation of the church. And he gave some evangelists, the fishermen, and some pastors and teachers, the shepherds. Not only did they understand this Old Testament analogy whenever he said, follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. But I think that whenever we hear fishing, we think you get a line and I get a pole and we'll go fishing in the crawdad hole. You remember that? That's not how they fished. There was no bait that was used. They didn't go down and get some night crawlers or some grub worms and bait a hook and throw it out there. The net was thrown. There was no bait. The net was thrown, and that overtook the fish with weights. It's a round net. They spun it, and it fell out. And then it fell, and whatever fish were caught under the net, it sunk to to the bottom. And then they pulled, and it drew the net in, and then they drew it up into the into the boat. The fish were captured by the net. They're drawn in. Fishing was not dependent upon choosing the the right kind of bait. The And the catching was the capture of the net. You're, you're, you're net casters. You're not hook baiters. Have you ever fished all day and, and had the wrong lure and the guy next to you is just catching them left and right and he's using the same thing but it's a different color? You don't have to worry about that. You don't have to worry about gimmicks or trying to figure out how to you know, how to weasel into somebody's heart and you you get to know them and whatever their needs are, so you find the key to their heart to turn their heart. Their hearts are, are desperately deceitful and wicked and, and and God's the only one that can open their heart. And he opens their heart to the gospel. Your job is to share the gospel with them. You're a net caster. And that's exactly what Jesus is saying to to these men. Fishing for men involves under Christ's authority, going out into the sea of the world, casting the net of the gospel and bringing them in. It sounds a whole lot like the Great Commission to me. All authority has been given unto me. So go into all the world and make disciples. Bring them in and shepherd them. You, you teach them all things whatsoever I've commanded you. And lo, I'm with you even to the end of the age. There's a, an authority Asserted, follow me, it's a, it's a command to be obeyed, it's a call to follow a person. It's Going to make them fishers of, of men. They're going to do God's work by calling people in and shepherding them. And that mission involves absolute allegiance to Christ. Look at what it says in verse 18. It says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Now, immediately is Mark's, Mark's favorite uh, word. And if the focus in verse 17 was on Christ's authority and the command, uh, clearly the focus here is on their response. They They responded to the authority that, Christ wields here in this, in this command. Now, I want you to notice that Mark says that they're in the process of casting their net. Look back at verse 16. He was walking by the Sea of Galilee. He saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea. They're actually fishing. They're actually doing the work. And verse 18 says, they immediately left their nets and followed him. Did they leave their nets out into the water? That's what it seems to imply. I don't know whether they drew them in and left them on the bank or not, but clearly the idea is is there was this urgent command and they immediately responded to the call to to follow him. I think what Mark's wanting us to see is their. Is their obedience is is not after long deliberation or even thinking about it. Jesus asserts kingly authority, issues a divine command, and then they they respond. Now this is if the you get a line and I get a poll it was for you more seasoned folk, this is for the younger people. Because you probably aren't going to remember a scene in Star Wars, are you? Some of you might not even know what Star Wars is. There's a scene in Star Wars where luke goes to find yoda and he's going to be trained and and during his training luke's ship begins to sink down in the swamp and yoda tells him to lift it back up you know use your your gnostic jedi powers or whatever they're trying to communicate to us there and luke has doubt about it and and he says i'll try and Yoda has this famous line, he says, do or do not, there is no try. There's no half-hearted response to the call of Christ because it's God who gives the command. You either follow or you do not, but there's there's no idea of trying. A command is obeyed or it's rejected, one of the two. And Simon and Andrew obey." And they immediately left their nets, and they followed him. And it's exactly what they're going to be calling others to do as, as fishers of, of men. As followers of Christ, Simon and Andrew they are going are gonna to share God's word. They're going to preach the gospel just as others, and they're going to call people to make that same urgent, radical response. Follow me. Hear God's voice. Make Him king. Repent and believe. And they respond rightly. And that's God's demand of us as well. God's word calls, calls us to absolute obedience. Or absolute allegiance, I should say, to to His voice. It demands a response. It, it comes in the midst of normal life as you're casting the net there, Here are others that are going about their earthly business, and God calls them to obey, obey, and it requires a choice of of allegiance, and that's a kingdom reality. You're not in heaven yet. I'm not in heaven yet. You say, no, duh. (laughs) I can tell. We live on earth, but this world's not our home, and the kingdom reigns right now in our hearts, but our bodies and daily life is in the is still in the kingdom of this world, and Jesus calls us to follow Him, to make specific choices that show our allegiance to His kingdom rather than to the earthly kingdom. And that's really where the rubber meets the road, isn't it? Because the kingdom of this world calls for allegiance all the time. It means while we're here, we make choices that show our allegiance or our loyalty to Christ's kingdom this, this tension is what Jesus meant when he said we're to be in the world, but not of the world. Daily choices. And sometimes I do that well, and sometimes I don't do that well. You're called to lay up treasures in heaven, not on earth. Committing your resources to a world that you cannot see for a time that you don't even experience right now. That's a... That's a a a call for absolute allegiance to a kingdom that you can't see. You're called to delay earthly pleasures for for heavenly joy and the way that you you live your your life. Life is all about those choices, choices of of allegiance. and here, as they're casting the net into the sea they immediately left their nets and and followed him. This authority involves absolute allegiance. You do or you do not do. And it has an earthly priority. Look at how Mark ends this, this message here, this scene. He could have probably stopped at verse 18 and communicated how the authority of Christ is being demonstrated here. He gives the command, follow me. He brings in the Old Testament analogy and understanding of the kingdom. This time is at hand. And they respond. They immediately left their nets and and followed him. But, but now in verse 19, you get a, a whole new scene. said, when he'd gone a little further from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, John, his brother, who also were in the boat mending their nets. And immediately he called them. And they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and, and went after him. Now, what's he communicating to us here? Well, there's some new information, isn't there? They're not casting nets, they're mending nets. And they left their father, Zebedee, and the servants, and they went after him. This authority has an earthly priority over normal functions and over natural relationships. Where the call of Simon and Andrew is to illustrate this obedience to to the calling, James and John is to demonstrate the demands of Christ takes priority over these earthly functions. I mean, in verse 16, it's the idea they're casting their nets into the sea. He makes the call and immediately they leave their nets and they follow him. And the details in verses 19 through 20 is that they're mending their nets and they leave their father and his his servants. And the mention of, of their nets demonstrates... the uh, His call takes precedence over over normal functions of life. And the message of his father or the mention of the father and the servant shows that his call takes priority over over even kin. Jesus finds them in their boats mending their nets, literally cleaning and folding them for the the next night of uh, fishing. Typically, fishing took place at night and during the day, they would, they would prepare their nets for the, for the evening's catch. And Mark is, is emphasizing their preparation for continuing their work. They'll get, engage, they're engaged in these normal duties in preparing. You hear that in other places. They're eating, drinking, marrying, giving in marriage. They're, they're mending their nets and they're engaged in normal duties. And Jesus calls them in the midst of that and they, they drop it. And then you find this other statement about their father. They leave him as well. They leave the work and they leave their relatives. Unlike today, sons followed their father's trade and typically they took it over it. If your father was a carpenter, then then you became a, a carpenter. If he had a fishing business, then you became a fisherman and Likely took over the, the fishing business. And that's exactly what these sons would have, would have done. And, and the call to follow Christ takes priority over both. They didn't just leave a job. They left a family. They left this heritage. They, they, they left the fishing business. And they left their father sitting right there in the boat with the other servants. This is not a small operation. There's two brothers. There's a father. There's, There's hired servants and they're preparing nets that are going to be used that that night. In verse 20 it says, And immediately he called them and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and followed him or, or went after him. The call to follow Christ takes priority over both normal things of earth, for lack of a better way to say it, and also natural relationships. Following Christ may put you at odds with with your chosen career, and it may put you at odds with your with your family. Now we may not experience that to the same degree as people in other countries do, but but it's possible. I've told you this story about whenever i left the business world to move here to lynchburg the most difficult phone call i had to make was my dad who was in business and to respond to him or respond to christ and call him and share with him what i was getting ready to do was i didn't want to disappoint him frankly i mean it's my father I liked hearing my father say "Well done," but I wanted to hear my father in heaven say "Well done" even more. There's nothing wrong with wanting to honor your parents. In fact, it's a command. You obey them as children, and you honor them all of your life. And I wanted to honor my father, whether he was following after Christ or, or not. But the, but the call of of Christ has has earthly priority, has eternal significance. But it's a priority. In earth, it may put you at odds with your chosen career. Obeying Christ may call you to focus on your family rather than on a second home or a big nest egg, two incomes, being a career woman. Whatever it, the world peddles, you'll typically find the Bible saying exactly the opposite. And that'll cost you something in life i can remember sitting down with tracy making the decision after she graduated from college and she was already working for braley and thompson when bailey came along it wasn't something forced it wasn't some heavy-handed thing but we sat down and prayed and talked about her staying home with him and that's just how simple it started you know what the future was going to hold and we had people say to her in my presence you know, why do you want to waste your education? I mean, think about what they're saying. Why are you want to waste your education on just being a mom or just your kids? You want to waste your education on your kids? Think about how offensive that is. Not wasting education, not wasting anything on it costs you something though. You had two incomes at that point. It's a wonderful story how the Lord Continues to provide. And here's an example of following Christ. It's the priority. It really is Jesus first. What's taking precedence? What's the ruling priority in your life? Well, back to our original introduction. It's not what we say... (laughs) It's also what we do. Following Christ, the priority. Is that the priority in your life? He's the king. and Following him means coming under his authority. And he exercises that authority through the word. And that's what we place ourselves under. And it may work itself out in your life in, in different applications, but the authority is the is the same. You have to wrestle with, with God and the Word and the Holy Spirit of how you work out some of those permissible angles in your in your family. But the priority and the command is the same. Jesus is God. He has authority and we submit to that authority and we demonstrate our submission through the choices and decisions that we make in our lives. Why don't you bow your heads? Speaking of choices and decisions. The gospel is an invitation, but it's also a command. Repent and believe are not options, but a demand that every human being Jesus says in John twelve forty eight He who rejects me and does not receive my sayings has one who judges him. The word I spoke is what will judge him at the last day. John three eighteen says, He who believes in him is not judged, but he who does not believe has been judged already because he's not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God, where you don't you're not in a neutral position. You're in a world of hurt. And the gospel is an invitation, but it's also a command to repent and believe because of that condition that I was in and that you may be in this morning. It's an invitation because it's God's grace that it would even be an option. What we, what we all deserve is hell. And it's a it's an invitation because of grace. And as our creator, God has the right to command and the fact that People refuse to obey as an evidence of of their rebellion, not God's lack of authority. God's not a beggar in the gospel. He's the giver of bread, and He invites you freely, anyone, to take of that bread. And He says, repent and believe, and it's His grace that gives you the opportunity to do that. And those who, who heed that call will be saved, and those who reject it will be judged by that same Those same words, that same call on the last day. where are you? Jesus issues you a call. Follow me. If you follow him, it'll cost you something. But he'll be with you. He'll give you purpose in life. He'll take you to heaven whenever you die the best deal in the world. Dita Lewis told me that she said if I could just if I could just give you a second taste of what it feels like to know Jesus, she said you'd run to him, but I can't. If you don't know the Lord, he calls you to follow him today and he offers you that grace freely. Father, as we come before you, we we confess. We we know that you're God. We know that your Word is is authoritative, and we know that we, Lord, we don't always do what we're supposed to do, and we ask you for mercy and and grace in the midst of that. As you've demonstrated your your authority in in Mark this morning, we would ask that you would help us to obey you fully immediately to not let anything else take priority in our life and father as we make these choices that we do every day even this week coming up that you would you would help us to to make sure we have the right allegiance to the right kingdom and lord for those who have never made Jesus king I, of their life I, I pray he is king i pray that they would just bow the knee Say, Lord, help me, save me, even today. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for loving us. We love you. In Jesus' name, amen.